Welcome to Dare to be Legendary, a Diversa Partners podcast. Each episode, we feature conversations with some of the brightest minds in tech, including founders, executives, and investors who are entirely disrupting this generation's ecosystem. They are the ones who dare to be legendary. Thank you so much to everyone joining us today. Just for some quick introductions, I am Nicolette Hartman. I am a partner over at Diversa Partners. We are the go-to executive search firm for venture-backed and hyper-growth tech companies. For the past, I'd say, 30-plus years, we have served as strategic partners to founders, operators, venture capitalists, the private equity community as they build the most disruptive companies of this generation. And speaking of disruptive companies of this generation, I am joined by Keith Raboy, a partner over at Founders Fund. Keith is known for his early investments in um, DoorDash, YouTube, Airbnb, Palantir. He's known for his operating roles at Square, LinkedIn, PayPal, and um, also as a founder of Open Door, CEO and founder of Open Store. So Keith, I am very glad to have you here with us today talking all things Miami, or I should say thank you for having us in the beautiful Founders Fund Miami office. Um, but as most people know, you know, Miami has seen just an incredible uh, influx in investors, operators, venture dollars being poured into the community. So we're really excited to talk about all things Miami, our industry, and really what the future looks like. So thanks for being here today. Sure. Pleasure to be with you. Awesome. So as we talked about, we've seen you know just a tremendous amount of growth happening in this city. And as someone like yourself who has spent the past 20 years in Silicon Valley, I'm you know really curious what made you personally want to move here because you also saw you know post 9/11, you were there through the 2008 crisis. So I'm really curious why now? What personally made you want to move here with your family? Yeah, well, we made a decision, both personally and professionally, that California was inevitably in decay, and San Francisco, the Bay Area specifically, even in a more acute decay. And rather than suffer through it, we figured we might we only live once, might as well be happy. We wanted our family, wanted our fund, wanted our founders to be happy. I sort of had this hypothesis that entrepreneurs are people too. And if you give people the opportunity to be both happy and professionally ambitious, they will choose the combination every time. In the Bay Area and in California, you just have to suffer through overtaxation, overregulation, homelessness, personal safety issues every single day of your life. So, for example, I actually every week in the, my last five to 10 years in the Bay Area, literally every week, somebody associated with me professionally or personally would be assaulted or a victim of crime. I've moved to Miami 19 months ago, and I know exactly of one crime that's been committed in any concentric circle around me. It's just a completely different world. And I had always conflated the two of living in an urban environment with all the disadvantages of traffic, overregulation, crime, homelessness, drugs, et cetera. And in Miami, we have safety, security, peace of mind. Awesome. It's very hard to build a company if you're distracted all the time by threats to your family. Yeah, I bet. Um, I saw a lot of that too, personally, when we were making the move here. It was easy coming from New York City to see, especially as a new mom, a lot of the benefits that we would have as a family here. Um, So it makes a ton of sense. And I would say there's still a lot of people, though, who have their other opinions on Miami, right? It's 
very different politics than what we're used to in New York and San Francisco. It's expensive to live here, rising. Well, not compared to San Francisco or New York. Maybe compared to middle America. But you know, one of the things we do when we recruit people to move to Miami is we have a real estate agent as part of our recruiting process. And she takes people home shopping. And the significant other is always blown away with the options that are available for the prices that people are used to in the Bay Area. Yeah, that, that is a really true point. And I think that's not what's always displayed in the media, right? You hear, oh, the costs are going up, costs are going up. So not everyone from the outside looking in realizes So to that. give you real stats, um, I just saw the study last week. To own a home in Miami, the, only, the income you need to afford a home in Miami, even with the last year or so of hyper growth and hyper acceleration of pricing is $117,000. That's it. In New York, it's multiples of that. In the Bay Area, it's definitely multiples of that. Even in Austin, it's 50% higher. So Miami is very affordable for people who work in tech, who are executives, who are design leaders, product leaders. Anybody who's you know had any traction, success, career trajectory can easily afford homes in Miami, which is not necessarily true in New York and in the Bay Area and not true in parts of LA either. That's great. That's great data. And again, a lot of that you don't often read about. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, What do you say, though, in terms of people say things like there's lack of infrastructure, the school systems aren't as great, there's not as many tech universities around here. Like, How do you think that needs to evolve and change? The school systems in Miami are actually pretty good. Again, it depends compared to where you're coming from. In New York, there are a lot of options, at least at the private school level, that have historically been you know, great places to educate kids. In the Bay Area, there's basically not many choices, particularly in San Francisco, San Francisco. It actually would be like almost child neglect to raise a kid in San Francisco, um, you know, if you care about the future of your children. So uh, the Southern Peninsula, Palo Alto, Atherton, Mountain View does have options that have historically produced you know, great students are still probably good educational systems. But in San Francisco, across San Francisco, it's an absolute nightmare. So one of the reasons why we moved is we are raising a family. We do have two kids and it's possible to envision them not only just going to private school in Miami, actually going to public school. It would be absolutely inconceivable to put children in New York City into public school or in San Francisco, across San Francisco into public school. I was raised in public, I went to public school, you know, through high school and ideally would like my kids to attend public school. Yeah, you and me both. We're public school. See, it works. Yeah, (laughs) look, we're okay. Um, Awesome. So that's great on the personal front. I appreciate that. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about tech and talent. That's what you and I spend a lot of our time doing. Um, You know, when we were betting moving here, obviously on the personal front, it was easy to see a lot of those things you just mentioned. But I did want to make sure that Diversa can have an impact here too. So we spent a lot of time evaluating the tech and talent market here. And we did find some really incredible talent, but we also vetted a thesis over the past year, having conversations with tier one execs in New York, the Bay Area, Seattle, Austin, everywhere, really understanding, look, if a great opportunity came around, would you ever move to Miami? We got a lot of tier one execs who said, yeah, I would. So I'm curious what you've seen here from a talent perspective and what you think still needs to come here. Um, Because as we know, there's been like over $5 billion in venture dollars in the past year. So it's a lot of building and a lot of people needed to build. So I'm curious what you've seen and what you think needs to happen. I think that's the right analysis, which is people may have had stereotypes or characters about Miami. And then when CEOs have surveyed their company about willingness or interest in moving to Miami, they're pleasantly surprised. Actually, council CEOs sometimes just do an anonymous survey 
of their employee base and they're shocked with the results that everybody's like, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to move somewhere between the possible move to I'd love to move. Same thing true with tier one executives. So that was the original hypothesis was Miami is, has been ranked the last three years in a row as the happiest and healthiest city in America. And if you have talented people, do they want to live in the happiest and healthiest city and happens to be a low tax, low regulation state, which has other benefits financially. I think that actually comes after the happiness and healthiness. But fundamentally, the combination is very attractive. I think it would be difficult, for example, to recreate a tech eco-center in, let's say, Pittsburgh. Even though CMU is an absolutely fine, world-class university, uh, certainly from a technical perspective, AI perspective, machine learning perspective, it's first rate. But I don't think you can attract top-tier talent at scale to move to Pittsburgh. It's cold, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that's one of the ingredients is would a city, if it had professional opportunities that people aspire for, would people be interested in moving there? And the answer to Miami is clearly yes. Would you say functionally there's a gap when you think about your product marketing tech operations a gap here and just say, you know, there's an opportunity for, for everyone right now. Well, there's a gap everywhere. There's a gap in technical design, print, you know, everywhere. Uh, we need more and more people, uh, but that's a good thing. Um, Silicon Valley was not built by people who were raised and born in Silicon Valley. People have this myth and, you know, it's just false. <laughs> people moved from Boston originally, and then they moved from MIT or CMU, the University of Illinois, Chicago, you know, Champaign, actually, um, because there was professional opportunities and there was venture capital available there. They didn't start there. Apple did start there, but most companies that people remember did not start with born and raised Silicon Valley people. And they're not staffed by people who went to Stanford and Berkeley at any level and scale. So that's all like fake news, false news. Um, there's a good book called The Power Law, which talks about the history of Silicon Valley and the history of venture capital, which explains this in incredible detail that really like all of these are like sort of myths. So my thesis was that we could create professionally interesting opportunities and then the talent would flow. Like I can get MIT graduates to move here if we've got great companies for them. We can get people to move from University of Illinois or Waterloo or CMU if we have great opportunities. And then they get all the benefits too, the lifestyle benefits, the happiness benefits, the weather benefits, the proximity benefits. Another thing that's underrated about Miami is proximity. Proximity to Europe, proximity to Latin America, proximity to even places like Toronto, Chicago, Atlanta, two hours away. And so it's very centrally located. I've noticed that personally, that even for the few friends of mine I haven't moved here yet, I see them all the time because they want to come to Miami because it's so convenient and easy to move to Miami or visit Miami. And there's magnets, whether you're into you know art and design like Basel or music like Ultra or now Tech Week or racing like F1. There's so many magnets that bring people here and the convenience of getting here means you see people that you've been connected to professionally and socially very frequently, even if they don't live here all year round. Yeah, totally. Um, so... Shifting gears a bit, I know you're bullish on building in a down market, which we'll get into in a little bit, um, but kind of on the topic that you were just talking about, we've seen so many companies, even in the past two months, um, moving their headquarters here, or we've seen obviously a lot of complete builds yeah. happening down here too. Like, it seems like a lot of work to move the headquarters, um, but like, why do you think this is a great spot in detail to build a company or to move a headquarters to? I think it's easier to move, start, build from scratch, truthfully, um, because then, you know, sort of people know what they're getting into, families, you know, et cetera. I think moving a headquarters of an operating company is more challenging. We've seen both within our portfolio. We have companies we funded from scratch here. And then we have another set of companies that started or we funded somewhere else, one in Europe, one, let's say, in the Bay Area, I'm thinking of. 
another one that's half New York, half here. So we're seeing that too, but at smaller scale than the citadels and large institutions. Mm-hmm. I think that is you know, a major challenge moving thousands of people. Um, it's been done. You know, some some large companies have moved to Texas from the Bay Area. Uh, some you know, are moving to Miami. Uh, so you'll see some of that, but I, I don't look. For, I, I wouldn't want. To, I think the challenge to a CEO of moving tens of thousands of people um, is a really interesting one. Uh, fortunately, you know our companies are more like moving tens, hundreds, maybe a thousand people, which is a much more tractable problem. Yeah, I moved four here so far, so yeah. I totally get. I moved. So I run a company as CEO, as yeah. you alluded to, um, of 103 people. 75 percent of the company moved to Miami specifically for the job. 80% of our engineers, we have 46 engineers, 80% of them move specifically for the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess I'm curious, like to move tens of thousands of people like Citadel is doing, which came out recently. We saw FTX is moving their US headquarters here too. I guess, what do you think is the main thing that's getting them to say, let's go through this massive appall challenge in order to do this? When you see companies of that scale moving, it's usually significant frustration with where they are. At the end of the day, they are definitely trying to escape things they don't like. Like in Citadel's case, it talks publicly about safety issues. In other cases, it may be tax and regulation. You definitely need a reason and a cause to move that many people. Building from scratch with white, you know, with an empty slate, you know, sort of whiteboard, where's the best place? A lot easier. I think typically though, the large institutions are very, very frustrated and basically have concluded that they're not going to make any real progress where they are. And so they they have to bite the bullet and really take the pain and then eventually be better off. Yeah. And that bullet leads to Miami. Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If you want warm weather, low taxes, low regulation, proximity, international airport, you don't have that many choices in the United States, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So talking a little bit about the economy, you know, obviously everyone has their opinion on it right now. All you have to do is turn on your news outlet of choice and you'll hear a variety of different things that are happening right now. And I can't help but take a step back and I feel a little conflicted because you and I live in this bustling, hyper growth, innovative world. But at the same time, we're still reeling with the effects of, you know, supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, effects on gas and energy um, inflation, rising interest rates. I guess, how do you reconcile this rapid tech innovation with what's happening in the economy right now? Well, tech's mostly divorced from many of those drivers. The one that's most complicated is the effect of interest rates. Basically, a lot of tech companies are predicated on borrowing capital one way or the other one way or the other, whether debt or equity, in repaying that over a long period of time by making money over sometimes decades. And so as the cost of capital goes up, the price of borrowing in the future becomes very different. So in the last decade, a lot of companies basically took the cost of capital as almost a marginal expense of zero or rounding to zero. And so it's easy to just flush capital out of problems because it wasn't that expensive to do so. And you had a very long time horizon before you had to pay that back. That has obviously changed and will continue to change as spike interest rates still have a little bit more room to go up before they go down. And so the cost of capital to a founder, to an entrepreneur, to an executive is significantly different. And hence, the cost of an investment decision that pays dividends years out is incredibly expensive. So how people fund their companies, how people grow their companies, how people manage their companies is going to have to change. Yeah. And I guess what advice do you have for people who are you know, trying to fundraise right now in a little bit more of a competitive market? Well, I think fundamentally you have to show progress at a faster tempo. 
the level of scrutiny that investors are going to buy is significantly greater than it was one, two, three years ago. And therefore, the, the marginal economics, the marginal units of progress need to be working sooner rather than later. Nobody really wants to fund things that might work versus they're working right now. It's a risk appetite change. Like as cost of risk-free investments change, the risk appetite of investors that are pretty rational about this stuff also will change. Yeah. So bringing it back to Miami a yeah. little bit, um, you're a very prolific, outspoken, brilliant investor. And what do you see happening in this market that maybe others don't see as it relates to the future? Like when you think about the next five to 10 years, what do you see happening here? What are some of the trends that you think are going to work? Do they have longevity? Yeah, so we had a couple of hypotheses, I'd say. One is that the future of tech is the blend of art, design, and pop culture with tech would be the future. And Miami is actually the epicenter of blending those environments in the United States. And so we have a thesis that just like uh, 12 years ago, uh, Mark and Jason, you know, sort of coined the phrase of software eating the world. Right now, we think software is going to eat pop culture and you're going to see this fusing and where better to find the, that fusing and the opportunity to fuse in, is a place that actually naturally fuses fields. And so Miami is the obvious choice in the United States. You can argue that South Korea internationally, globally, fuses technology and pop culture quite well. It's a more insular market, so I'm not sure I, would, I could be successful or founders want to be successful there. But it definitely blends technology innovation with pop culture really well. And Miami is you know, the American version of that. So that, that's one big trend that we're excited about. Second thing is that ultimately, if California declines in influence, the question is, where's, where, where's the growth? So we looked at our data, for example, um, we're currently finishing up Founders Fund 7. Uh, we basically typically deploy capital within a two and a half to three year time horizon. So Founders Fund 7 dates back about three years. 50% of our investments in Founders Fund 7 were in California, 50% outside California. To show the difference, the one fund before, so Founders Fund 6, it was 75% California. So just in one cycle, we basically went from a majority by a lot, 75% California, BC, to 50. And I only moved, and nobody in Founders Fund moved outside California until halfway through Founders Fund 7. So the fact it was 50-50 massively understates the trend. So I would expect in Founders Fund 8, which will you know, start investing in something early 2023, that California at most is 30, 34% of the entire fund. And so that's the future right there. That's all of California, not just the Bay Area. Right. Interesting. What, outside of Miami, what other major markets are you guys seeing pop up? Uh, we definitely are investing more in New York um, than we used to. Like I looked at my data for Founders Fund 7. So 12% of my investments were in New York City, which is up from almost zero. Huh. Um, so that's a pretty sort of, uh, improvement and change. 15% actually were US, non-Miami, non-New York, non-California. So we're starting to see diversity of where we invest all throughout the United States, which is an interesting trend too. Yeah. Outside of the pop culture and software, pop culture eats software, which I'm very excited to see more about. Any other major trends in Miami that you think have longevity here? Well, the other thing that's most interesting about Miami is it's a, it's a very diverse community. Uh, people have very different views. Um, roughly half the city you know, would vote for someone like President Trump. The other half would probably vote for President Biden. 
And so in any concentric circle of people that you interact with professionally, socially, there's always people who have different views than you do. And so you just have to learn to engage with people that think differently. And I think that's a very healthy thing. Whereas in the Bay Area, 99%, somewhere between 97 and 99% of people think the same. And they pretend that that's interesting. Here, it's literally 50-50. There's no place you can go. There's nothing you can do. There's no group of people you can hire without having to engage with people that have different views. And I think that's a healthy thing for society. And it stands out the first day, the first week you move here. I've seen that very quickly as well. Um, awesome. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and sure. take your optimism hat off. What makes this whole move to Miami a bad thing? Like, where are the gaps? Are there holes? Like, what... What challenges does Miami face? The biggest challenge is company startups take time to bake. Like you can't, to paraphrase, you can't really microwave a startup. Like it takes time to bake. You have to go kind of old school. Like you can't force a startup to be successful in one, two, three years. And I kind of knew this when I moved to Miami. I thought it would be like a 10-year process of building a new tech ecosystem to offset the you know, decay of Silicon Valley. And 10 years works for me because that's like the cost of timeline and venture fund. That's our time horizon. So it seemed pretty normal. But it, we're going we're gonna to be successful much faster than 10 years, but that was the goal. And startups are the same. So what we need in Miami are, as Bill Gurley tweeted, three $10 billion plus companies. Once we have three $10 billion companies, the ecosystem will take care of itself. And, but you can't force like overnight startups to be created and become $10 billion tomorrow. And so that's going to take time to prove itself. So in the interim, we need to continue to, you know, move more talented people, be a magnet for talent, just build the infrastructure to make people's lives better. But these companies need to succeed and we need a few of them to really succeed because if it really succeeds, first of all, it sets precedent. Like, okay, of course you can build a successful company here. Look, this company did, that company did, et cetera. Secondly, founders, um, uh, a lot of the people who work in these companies have aspirations to becoming founders themselves. And if they and their family like Miami, when they roll out of the company and start their own company, guess where they're going to build it? And that's what creates generations of tech products is people starting the next generation company. So of my 103 employees today, I guess about 40 of them want to be founders. And I bet as of today, most of them, maybe all of them will start their companies in Miami. And so we can succeed with open store. If the next generation starts their companies here, hopefully some of them succeed. And then we already have the next level. Yeah. Tell us more about open store. So open store aggregates long tail Shopify merchants into one big decentralized department store. So the goal was to build, or the goal is to build, the first horizontally interesting e-commerce site since the 1990s that's been successful in the West. So there's a lot of successful e-commerce sites in the United States. Most of them were founded in the 90s, and they're kind of you know still running on their network of facts and votes. Uh, we're, gonna tr- we're trying to create one from scratch that would be on par with Shopify and Amazon. Awesome. Um, and you've moved a lot of your talent from other areas. As I said, 75% of the employee base, 80% of the engineering team. Yeah, from outside of Miami. From outside of Miami, outside of Florida. Yeah. How do you think diverse partners can play a role in building the ecosystem here? Well, obviously, companies that are working tend to need executive leadership talent. And you know, there's always an art of when do you add talent to a mix. But basically, the company needs to create traction, usually on its own. And then there's roles for more traditional executives, leaders. And so the best thing you can do is help puzzle matchmake um, when the companies are succeeding so they reach their highest possible potential. If you're going to have a $10 billion target, 
companies are going to need to fulfill at least a reasonable fraction of their ambition to get there. And that requires leadership and upgrading in different roles. And so obviously diversity could be a you know, key ingredient in matchmaking the company to the missing ingredients. Awesome. And um, just as we're kind of coming up on time here soon too, I guess, what would you say to people who are considering Miami, but maybe not 100% sure if they should do it or not yet? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is actually spend some time here. And I would come down for at least a week, ideally closer to a month, somewhere between one and four weeks, and try uh, staying on the Miami side, not the Miami Beach side. Mm-hmm. Miami Beach is really for tourists, and it is sort of like Vegas on the beach. Miami, where we're sitting right now, in the Miami is like a, a real city, and I think getting a feel for the real city is the best way to do it. It's the best way to test out the city. But, but, but go through a week, not a weekend. See what a Monday is like, a Tuesday is like, a Wednesday, versus like a Friday, Saturday. Yeah. What surprised you the most about coming here? Um, pretty much how, well, first of all, I'll say how easy it was to move. So I moved nine of my 12 closest friends. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, that um, everybody was so welcoming. Um, and that's partially a history of legacy of Miami for, as a magnet for immigrants, Florida as a magnet for immigrants. Nobody's really from Florida originally. When I, when I, when I first moved here the first week, one of our senators called me up and he said, welcome to Miami. How's everything going? So it's great. It was really friendly. And he said, yeah, you have to remember we're the only state legislature where more than a majority of the state legislators were not born and raised in Florida. And three of the last four governors were not born or raised, born and raised in Florida. So this place is just welcomed outsiders, but it wasn't that obvious to me before I moved here. And then third is I can't find anything I don't like. Cell phone coverage is a little bit mediocre, yeah. but I, I don't make a lot of cell calls. Um, and when I need to, I use FaceTime audio. Yeah, <laughs> I have the exact same experience. It is it is the most welcoming, friendly place. And I had no idea that it would be like that when I signed up to do this and when our team came down here. But everyone, what can we do to help? Someone bumped into me at the gym and in New York, they would just Agreed. keep going. Oh, yeah. They were so sorry. And everything. I was like, where am I? But yeah, yeah everyone exactly. is so wonderful, so nice. It is a really special place. We have felt very welcomed. You and the team here have been incredible welcoming us on board. And we thank you for the longtime partnership with Diversa too. So thank you for the time. Sure. I really pleasure. appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited for us to come in Miami. Cool, welcome. Thank you. Thanks everyone for joining. Thanks for listening to Dare to Be Legendary brought to you by Diversa Partners. Feel free to check out the show notes for resources that we've mentioned throughout the episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, share with friends and leave us a review. This helps us get content to more listeners like you. Thanks again and stay tuned for our next episode.